Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 100. I swear to fulfill to the best of my ability and judgment this covenant. I will respect the hard-won scientific gains of those physicians in whose steps I walk and gladly share such knowledge as is mine with those who are to follow. I will apply, for the benefit of the sick, all measures which are required, avoiding those twin traps of overtreatment and therapeutic nihilism. I will remember that there is art to medicine as well as science, and that warmth, sympathy, and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife or the chemist's drug. I will not be ashamed to say I know not, nor will I fail to call in my colleagues when the skills of another are needed for a patient's recovery. I will respect the privacy of my patients, for their problems are not disclosed to me that the world may know. Most especially must I tread with care in matters of life and death. If it is given me to save a life, all thanks, but it may also be within my power to take a life. This awesome responsibility must be faced with great humbleness and awareness of my own frailty. Above all, I must not play at God. I will remember that I do not treat a fever chart, a cancerous growth, but a sick human being whose illness may affect the person's family and economic stability. My responsibility includes these related problems if I am to care adequately for the sick. I will prevent disease whenever I can, for prevention is preferable to cure. I will remember that I remain a member of society with special obligations to all my fellow human beings, those sound of mind and body, as well as the infirm. If I do not violate this oath, may I enjoy life and art, respected while I live, and remembered with affection thereafter. May I always act so as to preserve the finest traditions of my calling, and may I long experience the joy of healing those who seek my help. Hello, and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters podcast where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help you on your path to becoming a physician. That opening was brought to you by Allison. That is the modern version of the Hippocratic Oath. And if you've listened to a lot of these podcasts, you will know that in episode 50, 
I also read that same version of the Hippocratic Oath, and I think it's maybe something that we will continue to do if we hit our 50 marks. Uh, So the next one would be 150. We'll read it again, maybe. I like that idea. Hello, Allison. Hello, Ryan. Good evening, everyone. Maybe it's not evening where they are. That's true. It could be morning, afternoon, or evening. Good afternoon, morning, and evening to everyone. Catch everybody. (laughs) There you go. Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm very excited. This is so exciting for us. This is episode 100. Did you ever think we would get here? Uh, I did because I believe in you and I mean that wholeheartedly. <laughs> believe in me or us? Us, but but especially <laughs> you. <laughs> no, I think it's awesome. I don't know if when you started this, if you thought you would get here. I, I don't think I dared think this far ahead. Mm. Uh, I was happy if you go back and listen to session, was it seven or 10 or one of those? I was like, hey, we made it to this. It was, it was like a, a big milestone because the, the, the statistics show that if you make that number of podcasts, then you'll likely continue on. If you don't make that number, then your, your podcast will likely go away. But the whole reason this podcast has lasted so long is because of you, you that are listening right now. You continue to put us, Allison, myself, our guests that we have on, onto your devices to listen to us and put your earbuds in and, and listen to us while you're driving, listen to us while you're running, listen to us to put you to sleep. Wherever you're listening, it's, it's amazing and I thank you for that. As do I. This podcast, we wanted to take a break and tell your story. And again, if you've been listening over the last couple of weeks, I've reached out to you and, and have requested stories from you to tell us and tell me and, and tell everybody else listening your story. And we got six amazing stories from different people four of them were able to call them in so we can play those and we'll read the other two. And the whole idea behind doing this, and this idea was brought to us, brought to us, it's like a sponsorship, brought to us by Jessica, one of our Academy members. And I was actually looking back at session 50 and she also suggested session 50s, uh, um, so maybe that's another thing we should make a uh, yeah Jessica so <laughs> every start episodes. thinking about 150 <laughs> thank you Jessica whatever our theme will be so it's <laughs> maybe we should hire her to to think about more different uh, episodes I know she's a very busy pre-med but in, in all of her extra time <laughs> she's a very very busy pre-med who just got back awesome MCAT scores that's awesome today Yay. congratulations Jessica congratulations so I don't know. I, I don't know where to begin. And, and oh, what I was saying was, we wanted the stories because what what we wanted to do with this podcast was not only kind of bring more factual information to you instead of going and reading that three letter website form that you go read and you get discouraged that everybody has a four and a forty on the MCAT or Googling around for random questions and answers, we wanted to bring you different experts and admissions committee members and deans and 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 interview pre-med students and medical students and physicians and hear their stories because 
when you when you take it from an internet page and you talk to somebody, then the stories come to life and you hear more more truth, I, I think, behind it. And you hear the context a lot of what you're reading. And the fact that we have 100 episodes now, you're starting to get a range of stories. And I think that is exactly what we wanted to do here, is to show you that there is no perfect way to be a pre-med. There's no perfect way, 100% guaranteed way, to get into medical school. And I think this episode is fitting for that, to tell many stories and to hear those differences. And ultimately, all six of these people will be or are successful on their path already. Absolutely. These are awesome, awesome stories, awesome people. So thank you for taking time out of your busy lives to write in and share with us about your struggles and successes over those struggles. So I want to start with Christina's story. And she was the first one after I put this out, the first one to get back to me. So I thought it was fair to give her the first spot here. So let's go ahead and we will play Christina's. Hi, Dr. Graves. This is Christina and I'm calling from California. Uh, I wanted to uh, share my story for episode 100. As an undergrad, I considered a career in medicine. Uh, I went to a handful of the pre-health meetings, um, but I think I fell victim to several of the common myths. You know, my GPA wasn't a perfect 4.0. I didn't have the right activities. Uh, and if I didn't apply as a junior, I would never, ever get into med school. My research advisor at the time encouraged me to consider grad school. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the research that I was doing in his lab, and the idea of applying chemistry to problems in healthcare was intriguing. Uh, on top of this, grad school was going to pay me a small stipend. Um, you know, the recession had hit my family and my father's business, so this idea of, of a small stipend to help my family was really, really exciting. Uh, you know, I enjoyed grad school in the university. Um, I passed my qualifying exams. You know, I'm, I'm currently in my fourth year of the program, but I felt like something was really missing. Um, I was always less interested in the nature of publications and more interested in hearing clinical cases. Uh, so I decided to take a small step, and I took a wilderness medicine class that was being offered through the medical school. Um, and I was just, I couldn't remember the last time I was this excited. Uh, I began looking for other resources. Uh, knowing that, uh, you know, a PhD to MD pass was not super common. Uh, and it was during this initial search that I found the, the podcast and began listening. Uh, one of the first episodes that I listened to was episode number 74, the interview with Carrie. Uh, she said something very profound in the middle of the interview that kind of named all of the self-doubts I had about my, my record and my financial worries. Um, Carrie said, sometimes we allow fear to formulate speed bumps or walls that aren't really there. Sometimes we think we can't do blank dream because we have all of these other variables that are holding us back. Well, have you ever tried? Uh, so now I'm, as I said, I'm in my fourth year of graduate school. I'm continuing my research, and I'm studying for a January MCAT, um, and I hope uh, my goal is to be able to apply next summer. Uh, so thank you so much again for uh, doing the podcast uh, and presenting uh, all of the information each week. Uh, I look forward to listening and learning something new every time. So that was Christina. What did you think of that? 
Ooh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this podcast without some actual tears, Ryan Gray. <laughs> I That got me kind of choked up. It's a Dr. Ryan Gray to you. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, I'm totally not like that. Um, Christina, I, wow. I mean, what a story. And Carrie, too. I mean, every time I hear that, it's so true. I mean, it's it's such um, such a a great, such a powerful thing um, to say about how we create speed bumps with, you know, our own fears and speed bumps and walls. Uh, and are they actually there? Uh, Christina, I'm so just, yeah, I just moved by uh, how you followed your dream. You, you were, you knew yourself, you've known yourself this whole time and you've, you've taken the opportunity to help your family, as you said, by getting that stipend and, and following what you thought might've been part of your dream at the time. But as you moved through, you sort of clarified for yourself more and more that clinical medicine uh, was, was really what you wanted to be involved in. And so I just applaud you for sticking to uh, really just continuing to get to know yourself along this, this journey that we call life and uh, pursuing your dream, even in the face of these doubts and fears and financial concerns and everything else. So, uh, and, and the fact that you're now going to be sitting for the MCAT, I mean, just fabulous. So uh, applaud you and all of uh, what you're up to. And, and uh, we are both confident that, uh, you know, and whether it's a year, year and a half's time, you will be sitting in a medical school auditorium. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Her story, kind of the zig and zag of it all, reminds me of the interview that I did with. Oh, and I'm not going to be able to think of her name off the top of my head. It was, it was session fifty three with Dahlia. How could I forget that one? And and how she took many kind of twists and turns. And so that's that's session fifty three. I know Christina mentioned session 74 with Carrie and and we've gotten so much great feedback on that one. So if if you're out there doubting yourself right now, go listen to 74 with Carrie who is starting second year now, maybe on her way to second year. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think it's so true. I mean, it's the twists and turns in life that make us unique and make us who we are. And so the as she said, you know, she got this idea, Christina said she got this idea in her head from uh, forums and websites and pre-med advisors, whomever that perfect if you 4.0, right. I, that's well, not, the one not, thing that stood out in my head, but I didn't even, have so, the perfect 4.0. It's funny because what stuck out in my head was if you don't apply as a junior, then you're never going to get an ever. That was also part of it, which, which is, oh, did you, I didn't yeah, hear that. Yeah. And that's what, there's this thought that, yeah, if you don't, I mean, I even encountered that because I did take a gap year and there are people who tell you and, Oh God, if you don't apply now and you're a junior, then you're done. It's over. Yeah. And it's so the opposite. Um, I mean, it, you certainly can apply as a junior and get in, and and that's awesome if you do. But you can absolutely also go the non traditional route, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just very moving. The passion there is just is is awesome. Yeah, I think that's a a perfect one to start with. She she talked about kind of having that resistance at the beginning. And going and finding her path and finding what she's passionate about. And now she's re-engaged and, and going back at it stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the next one with uh, Jake. And this one's a little bit longer. So I, I want to play the whole thing because his story it has just as many little gold nuggets as everyone else's. Hey, Ryan and Allison, this is Jake from Pittsburgh. I am calling um, to talk about 
the 100th episode for you. So here's a little bit about my story. My name is Jake Miller, and I am a future physician, and that feels great to say. My road to medicine was definitely not traditional, but through each experience, I learned a lot about myself and the amount of planning necessary not only to pursue medicine, but to get through the application process in one piece. I attended the University of Rochester, which, um, if you don't know, is a private research-focused institution where about 60% of the incoming students claim that they were interested in medicine their freshman year. During the first week of school, I sat down with my pre-major advisor and discussed my interest in Spanish studies and pursuing medicine. She advised that I would take biology, calculus, and freshman writing, but to hold off on my chemistry because she was concerned that I wouldn't be able to succeed in everything at once. And now as that naive freshman still in orientation, I really had no idea that acting on her advice would change my path to medical school. So at my school, taking biology, chemistry, calculus, and freshman writing was the traditional course um, and the traditional route to complete all requirements by your junior year so you could apply and enter medical school right after graduation. So in place of general chemistry, by taking her advice, I then switched um, that out for a course in public health. I entered as a BS in cell and developmental biology because I really did love AP biology in high school, but then I quickly realized that while biology was important to me as a future doctor, I wasn't passionate about it, and I definitely wasn't passionate about bench research like I was with this newly implemented public health track. So public health, uh, health behavior and society specifically, became my major as I was really captivated by the concepts of health disparities, epidemiology, and medical anthropology. So I declared my major as public health. I took a minor in Spanish and a cluster at my school, which is three courses to fulfill your natural sciences, was biological principles. So throughout college, I was really able to understand the psychosocial aspects of disease, the importance of disease prevention, and how culture changes, how disease and illness is viewed and is cared for. So that's all thanks to my public health degree and courses. So instead of my cramming my pre-med requirements into three different years, I spread them out among all four years, and I took chemistry and physics together sophomore year with genetics and organic chemistry junior year and a biochemistry senior year. And, of course, the general bio uh, was all of freshman year. Little did I know this strange sequence of courses, and many times, actually, there's a fall course and a spring course that have to be taken together, uh, would allow me to do something amazing that a lot of pre-meds don't get to do, which is study abroad. Despite overloading two semesters, as well as being a student athlete with a rigorous practice and travel schedule, I really wanted to make this happen. So a Spanish minor um, and having a real large interest in Latino health, I had the opportunity to perfect my Spanish school skills while living with an amazing host family in Santiago, Chile, while at the same time continue taking health-related courses and perform clinical rotation through the local university hospital system. These experiences were definitely life-changing and confirmed that medicine was what I wanted to do. So despite my non-traditional pre-med course sequence at the university um, and that starting re really as a hurdle, it allowed me to do something that I would only have that opportunity once in a lifetime, which is to live abroad for six months and to really understand and learn a new culture. My re-entry into life in the U.S. was tough that spring. I returned from Chile for my last semester when I would be taking biochem and an NCAT prep course. I was a resident advisor in my hall. I tutored Spanish. I took a full course load uh, while doing all of these things. So reintegrating myself into life was a huge barrier to my success because I wanted to enjoy life as a second semester senior ready to graduate, spend time with friends I hadn't seen before studying abroad. 
And it wasn't until the final exam time that I really started freaking out about my MCAT. My classes ended, and I had 10 days from when my exams ended until graduation, and then another 10 days until uh, my MCAT from graduation. I really shouldn't have taken my MCAT the very first time, but I did it out of stubbornness, and it left me with a really terrible score in a bad position. I was devastated, but really, um, I had to step back and analyze my options for moving forward and decided that medicine was still the route I wanted to go and that I needed to take a retake of my MCAT, but that September wouldn't get me a big enough increase and there was no point because I would have been late in the cycle. Instead, I decided to relax and enjoy my summer research position and uh, my new and upcoming AmeriCorps program. So I began an AmeriCorps program for my gap year at the end of summer after graduation and studied again for my MCAT in October. So that would be, um, that's a few months, so I would say that's about six months, with my test date being in late March, so a six month between when I started and when my test date was. It was tough studying while working full-time, but I made it work, and I believe that focusing on my MCAT is the only academic pursuit was key. To increase my scores, I had to really evaluate what I was doing wrong, so I changed the way I studied by using practice questions as my base while taking all practice tests available, using content review, using question banks, anything I could to supplement my learning. The second time around, I really learned that I needed to understand parts of the system, how they work together to make the system function, and how the changes to one part affected that whole system as a whole. So a vivid memory I have of how I um, really changed my study habits is how I mastered the kidney for myself. The great news is I increased my score by five points, which was definitely key. So after that score increase of five points, I was so relieved. I was able to really focus on my uh, AmeriCorps program. My AmeriCorps program focuses on increasing access to health care and reducing barriers and disparities of care to underserved populations here in my city. This has been the most amazing experience for me. And actually, I'm serving two terms and will get over 3,500 hours of medically-related volunteer work and service. So not only has AmeriCorps allowed me to build skills for my life as a physician, it has made me really comfortable working with diverse individuals. It's brought incredible meaning to my two years and I'm not going to call them gap years, but my two bridge years between college and medical school. I'm a youth outreach and care coordinator at a local hospital, and I have two projects. The first one is working with a youth-driven advisory board for young people who have experienced difficulty transitioning to adult life and adult health care, and many of these young people have functional or developmental disabilities. And the second thing is I serve as a care coordinator at a drop-in program for youth and young adults who are experiencing homelessness in our city. And so I manage the medical clinics there. I help them obtain insurance. I see help them see a primary or specialty care provider. I can link them to mental health care and, um, most importantly, help them find stable housing. It's really been an amazing experience, and I recommend it for anyone who's interested in giving back to their community and finding something really meaningful to do during their years in between uh, graduation and medical school. So I'm currently in application cycles, and I really wanted to make sure that I put my best foot forward because this is the only time that I want to do this. It's the only time I'll apply. I purposely planned my MCAT for March so I could get my scores in April, research schools that I wanted to apply to based on those scores, write my personal statement also in April, and then start filling out uh, ACOMAS and AMCAS in May, and then submit everything the very first week of June that was possible. Because my school, Rochester, was very competitive, the great news is it did have a committee letter, but because it was so competitive, my GPA was not that high. And as well as a low MCAT score for allopathic schools, I really wanted to make sure that I put my best support and apply as early as possible to overcome any hurdles. Planning is half the battle with this application to medical school, and so I really wanted to make sure that everything 
uh, was in line and I had all my ducks in a row. So at this time, I am so fortunate to have two acceptances to osteopathic medical schools and I'm really, really excited for the future because my dreams of becoming a physician are about to come true. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your help throughout this process, and I will continue listening to the podcast for hopefully years to come. Jake, you have Allison over here in tears, I think. <laughs> and, I'm all welled up. And did you hear he said years to come? That's a lot of pressure. Oof. Oh, boy. <laughs> Rubbing her eyes. Killing me. It's allergies, right? <laughs> I got something in my eye. Yeah, that's my excuse. So, Jake... Thank you for that message, and I hope you that are listening listen to all eight and a half minutes of that, because he told so many different stories in that, that you can take away so many different thoughts and pieces of encouragement and different ideas on what you can do on your path, and and you can see that... In the end, he was successful. And congratulations, Jake, for having two acceptances now to, to medical school. And and you mentioned their osteopathic schools. And, and that, again, if, if you've listened to me long enough, you know that it doesn't matter. Allopathic, osteopathic, you're going to be a physician. And, and congratulations on that. What stood out uh, on that one for you, Allison? A lot, several things, and congratulations, so excited for you, um, and all you've accomplished and all you are going to accomplish. Um, I think the first thing that was just so striking to me is how, um, you know, Jake talked about how his pre-med advisor gave him advice that completely changed his college career and his life, and initially it sounded like not great advice because, and for most people it might not be great advice because medical schools want to see that you can do all those courses at the same time and um, back to back to back and, and get in those courses in a timely way so you can apply. But what's so amazing is that that advice then translated into him having this new this this course that he would never have taken the public health class and and that propelled him to then be studying Chile and, and send him to Chile. I mean, and have these life changing experiences, and uh, and also by the way, the fact that you have such an amazing public health background will only make you a stronger physician every day of your career and your life. Uh, so that was that was so cool to hear about, uh, and. Um, also just the, the fact that he course corrected so much, he kept talking about that, how he would step back and, and realize that he, that he still wanted to pursue this, but he needed to change what he was doing. And that's something that Ryan has talked about. Um, and I've talked about in, in other podcasts, uh, about the importance of, of always taking a step back and, and, uh, doing this thing called course correction. Um, including by the way, how he changed the whole way he studied for the MCAT. Yep. And we've talked in other podcasts about how, uh, it's so much about, the questions, not about trying to learn all that content and make, you know, focus on the content. It's about the questions. Um, but we're really, I mean, by all through this, I was just moved and moved and moved. But by the end, I mean, Jake, when you talk about uh, what you're doing now and all the experience you have working with uh, youth in the city where you live and these 3,500 hours you're going to have, <laughs> I mean, my God. Um, that's it? 30? That's all? Oh, it just, that's as a physician, crazy. I mean, it makes me so proud just to think of, you know, you as the future, the next generation of physicians and um, who will be, you know, really right behind uh, Ryan and myself. Um, and just your, 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 just how thoughtful you are and how 
clearly how caring uh, you are as an individual. And, and clearly it's, you know, you have done all the right things because here you have two beautiful acceptances to medical school. So just congratulations. And yeah. so, so just thrilled for you. Yeah. And so, thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, that's huge to share. He really shared so much of his life story with us. So. Definitely. So a couple of takeaways from that one. It reminded me of the Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man. <laughs> Jim Carrey is is forced or thinks he's forced to say yes to every opportunity. It sounds like, Jake, that's what you are doing. You're You're taking every opportunity that's thrown your way and not only taking advantage of it, but thriving in that opportunity, mm-hmm. and and that's huge. And and you had mentioned that that some of these hurdles that you thought have now turned into different opportunities, and that's that's a huge outlook on life in general. Is is not getting depressed and blue and and pissed off and discouraged that something didn't go exactly your way. But you you took a step back, you you course corrected, figured out how can you take advantage of this situation now and and move forward. And that will only um, serve to to make you a better person in life and a better physician in general. And so I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think for all of us and, and all pre-meds out there, there's a, there's a motto that I try to live by that I, I learned from others. And I think it really applies to the whole pre-med journey and beyond as a physician, because it is a long and hard journey to get there and continue to be there. And uh, there's this whole concept that you can have life happen to you. And then there's a concept that you can create the life you want to live. And I try so hard to live by that, that second part of it um, every day. And I think that's what a lot of non-trads and, and other pre-meds uh, encounters you know, they, and, and I shouldn't say encounter, they, that's, that's what they do. That's what they have to do. They encounter financial struggles and other roadblocks and, and low MCAT scores or a lower GPA than they wanted. And they just surmount those obstacles time and time again. So yeah. Awesome. 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 So I'm going to read one from, uh, Gabriel and he wrote in, he, he didn't get a chance to call in, but I'm just going to read his story real quick and we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, Gabriel says, I, he says, I hope you and Allison are doing great. I wanted to share my story so far for session 100. Right now I'm a senior in the university of Puerto Rico and taking the MCAT now since I'll finish my degree in five years. The reason for this is what I'll talk about. I graduated with a low GPA 3.2 from high school and did not get accepted into the human biology major. This motivated me to do anything I could possibly do to change majors at my university because this is what I wanted to study, even if I didn't get into medical school. So I gave it all to get the best grades possible and managed to finish my first year, which was pretty loaded with a 3.9 GPA and successfully changed majors. I took a good amount of unnecessary courses and now I have to stay an extra semester. Now most likely graduating with a 3.7 GPA, which is pretty good for Puerto Rican schools. This is also this is also something you can talk about whenever. Many people have the misconception that Puerto Rico schools, that Puerto Rican schools, are considered "quote unquote" Caribbean when all four of them are USMD schools. University of Puerto Rico, however, only takes students with very strong ties to Puerto Rico. Also, the huge problem when Puerto Ricans consistently score lower on the MCAT because of the language barrier. Keep at it. You are helping many of us make our dream of becoming physicians come true. Thank you. So that's 
Gabriel. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you, Gabriel. So I, I want to start with what he said at the end. The, the Puerto Rican schools are U.S. medical schools. Puerto Rico is a, a territory of the U.S. And yes, all of those is. schools are uh, on the, the AAMC. I, I believe they're all, they all um, participate in the, the AMCAS application. Mm-hmm. So they, they are normal schools. But as he said, um, they, they do have very strong ties to Puerto Rico, as, as do many state "Quote unquote state schools." So, and and also the the language barrier thing. the The MCAT has historically skewed towards native English speakers, and that's that's a disappointment. And I've been trying to find one guest to to bring on the show, who I think it was twenty one. Maybe she couldn't get over a twenty one on her MCAT because she was not a native English speaker. And so she ended up going to a Caribbean medical school and on step one of the USMLE, she got a letter in the mail that said, congratulations, you are the highest scoring person for step one. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to get a letter like that for anything, (laughs) (laughs) but it just goes to show you the, the MCAT does not prove how good you are as a person. It does not prove how good you are as a pre-med, how good you will be as a medical student, or how good you will be as a physician. It's just the MCAT. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's it's skewed towards native English speakers. So that's that's one of the hurdles that, that you'll have to overcome. So. But it's, it's also just part of what we talk about is knowing the test. And part yep. of knowing the test is, is just that the language is written in, really. Um, but there are ways to to surmount that obstacle, too. Yep. So that's awesome. So it's it's always interesting. I don't remember when I went to met, uh, to undergrad and and selected my major if there were requirements for GPAs and stuff. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, certainly not, and not in Canadian schools. I mean, I went to, as you know, a lot of you know, I went to uh, university or went to college in Canada, and there weren't. I mean, the only difference there is we had to select our major very early on. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he talks about how he graduated with a lower GPA than he wanted, which did, you know, it prevented him from getting uh, the major he wanted. And so then I love how he says, this motivated me to do anything I possibly could to change majors at my university because that's what he wanted to study. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's exactly what we were just talking about. Um, you know, not, not being stopped, being unstoppable is, is really what yeah. it takes sometimes. And that's what he's doing. And there's that kind of cliche saying, it's, it's not how you fall, it's how you get up. So he got up very, very strongly. Yep, absolutely. So that's awesome. And who cares if it's a cliche if it works? <laughs> yeah, who cares? Yeah. So that's that one. Thank you, uh, Gabriel, for sending that in and and uh, sharing your story. And I'm glad uh, you're going along the ride with us. So the next one is Jackson, and I'll play that one now. Hey, Ryan. Uh, this is Jackson. So leaving the message um, for. Uh, my story for the 100th podcast. I'm excited for it. All right. So my first interest in Madison began in high school. I actually worked with my dad, and my dad is actually a funeral director, and so I got my first experience there. I thought anatomy was a beautiful thing, and it, it definitely is. And I was exposed to that at a, especially at a young age, and I was really interested in that. But going through high school, I became really gifted with math and science, and so I thought I'd uh, pursue a more math-related thing with actuarial science, doing risk analysis and insurance and other things. Um, but after a year of those courses and 
um, general courses as well as actuarial science courses, I wasn't really interested in um, that sort of application of the math. And um, so I tried to go a different I, – I remembered why I liked um, anatomy and science so much. So I began the coursework in chemistry and biology and continued with math. And so I graduated just this last May with um, an applied math degree with minors in both biology and chemistry. So I was taking, you know, OCHEM and biochem uh, just alongside all the biochem majors and chemistry majors and um, as well as biology majors in the biology classes and taking all my upper-level applied math classes. And that was very fulfilling but also very challenging course load. And... What I really liked was the application of math. I found the the research that I could do with math was amazing. Um, so what math can do is run simulations. So we can, um, for example, my research was to model an infant brain and skull in the first two years of growth because that's the most robust period of growth for a child's head. Um, so our initial goal was to... Um, just get an idea for how the brain is affected by craniosynostosis, where we can look at the uh, pressures inside the head, which we really can't do. I think we can do it now with fMRIs, I think, but uh, mathematically investigate this condition. And I really like that clinical application. So I worked on the project for two years, and I really enjoyed that application of math medicine, almost in a diagnostic sense. Um, and I also applied math and um, immunology and biochemistry. In addition to that coursework, I volunteered in an emergency department for two and a half years on Saturday nights, really interesting stuff there, and picked up hospice volunteering my senior year, and I continued to do that and will continue to do that over the next year. So um, because of these experiences, my research and my patient contact, I applied MD-PhD seeking schools with computational biology or other related programs, um, but these programs are fairly new and um growing very rapidly and very diverse. And so my application was limited to some big-name schools um, and I ended up with a rejection letter from each of them. So I decided to pursue an advanced degree in computational biology to pursue that research interest. But I really um, but I really like the patient aspect of it. So I'm continuing to volunteer in hospice, and I have a year and a half left of my master's degree. And I was just uh, recently hired as an emergency room scribe. So I'm hoping with those experiences and another uh, and a round of applications under my belt, um, I'll be successful this time around. Uh, thank you very much, Ryan, and uh, I look forward to all the info from uh, medical school headquarters and um, and everything and all the other information that you pass on. So um, thank you very much. Bye now. So that was Jackson. Jackson. Awesome. Telling his story. <laughs> and so I love these stories because they're so interesting. Everybody is so interesting. That's that's the other important thing to realize here is Yes, is you, you get are so, interesting. Is that you get so caught up you you listening right now, you get so caught up and we we all do, we get so caught up in GPA and MCAT, GPA and MCAT, research hours, volunteer hours, shadowing hours. Am I am I good enough? And what am I going to write about on my personal statement? I'm not unique. Yet you've heard all of these stories and everybody is telling something so unique mm-hmm. that that you are a fool if you don't think there's something unique about you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think that's why it's sort of, it takes some soul searching to just step back away from all of those check boxes and just say, what makes me me? How am I unique? What do I, what would I bring to bear in a medical school class that nobody else would? And you can answer that question because everybody out there, you are unique. Yeah. And think about that question because it will get asked to you during an interview at medical school. A lot of medical schools will ask you, why should we accept you? What will you bring to our incoming class? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, Jackson, your first comment about uh, your dad being a funeral director and anatomy exposure at such a young age. I mean, if I were an admissions officer, I would be so intrigued immediately thinking, my goodness, you know, what what is that like? I mean, I remember watching Six Feet Under and thinking, <laughs> Jesus, you know, that's tough stuff. <laughs> so you were exposed at a young age. And, and it's so interesting how some of us, uh, we we take sort of pieces of what our, our family members do or what our parents do. And, you know, they talk about the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, but it's, you know, so your, your dad's a funeral doctor and here you are wanting to pursue medicine and you have that interest in anatomy. So and it just, it's just so interesting to me. And then when you talked about the infant brain and skull, you had me hooked, of course, <laughs> of course. <Nerd. laughs> well, also because we have an infant, but yeah, I mean, um, so, and I've seen some cases of cranial synostosis and it's so interesting how you applied your, you know, your math background to, to that and, and how you're continuing through all of your these parts of your journey to uh, you're, you're continuing to hold on to that interest in clinical medicine and the volunteering experience that you continue to accumulate. Um, so just really inspiring. Uh, and your new uh, position now as an ED scribe, I think will be huge. We talk, we've talked about that um, with uh, other pre-meds who have enjoyed, uh, have greatly enjoyed being a scribe in the ER and, and things move, I should say ED, uh, things move very fast in, in the emergency department uh, in a lot of hospitals. And so you will meet so many patients and learn so much just by doing that, by, by writing down those, those encounters and, and helping the physician uh, or healthcare practitioner, whoever is seeing the patient, uh, do the diagnostic work and, and uh, talk with the patient. So write write them down. Write down whatever you see. Definitely. So it's it's interesting. I want I want Jackson to email us and let us know if six feet under was like his life. Yeah, definitely. I know we did the MythBusters about yeah. <laughs> medical school and I, shows on TV. So I've I've never met anybody that's kind of grown up in a funeral home. I haven't either. But you know, the the um, schools that you talked about, these programs where they incorporate math, I mean, it's, it also points to the fact that medicine is changing and, and the degree programs are changing. There are a lot of students out there who are now doing MD, MBAs, which is mm-hmm. very different than things used to be. MD, PhD has been around for a long MD, time, MPH. certainly. Yep, MD, MPH. Yeah. Uh, so it's very cool. I would, um, I'd be interested also to know which institutions are, are have these programs uh, yeah. available. I'm sure they will increase in the future. So, so I want to give some advice to Jackson. This will turn this into a little advising session. If those programs are so few and far between, and this is what you want to do, and you maybe you go through another round of applying and, and hopefully you get in this next round and, and this advice isn't needed, but if, if there's a hang-up there, apply to medical school. Just straight-up MD program. Get into medical school and then get your PhD afterwards. Once you have that MD, so many other doors will be open for you. And you can go and practice as an MD, PhD, doing what you want to do. The downfall of that is most MD, PhD programs are free. They, they pay you the stipend to 
to be a little research scientist.、Mm. So that, that's a huge difference there. And, and maybe that's what he's pushing for. But、mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. Amazing story to, to take his love of math and, and he's a huge science nerd and, and kind of merge those. And, and you hear that typical, well, why, are you, why are you interested in medicine? It's like, well, I love chemistry or I love biology. But he's actually taking that math background and applying it to the math the and anatomy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Very cool. So you have one that you're going to read from our friend David, who used to be called the ninth grade high schooler. He's now in 10th grade. And this is another long one. And we were, we were thinking about editing this a little bit. But once we started reading it, we realized we, we have to read it whole. Yeah. So. And editing only for time's sake. But it is so. I mean, I kept saying to Ryan, he was having me go through and see if we could take pieces of it. I said, Ryan, this is just so great. We just have to read this. Yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> All right. So tune in. Okay. So David starts by saying, When I was a toddler, a family friend from out of state was a pre med at that time. She is now a pediatric hospitalist, and she used to play with me, examine me as her little standardized patient. And she let me play with her really fun pen light. When I was a little kid, somewhere around four years old, I had my well child checkup at my pediatrician's office. Afterwards, I told my mom that I wanted to be just like him. I really liked him. I never cried when I got shots, and he always gave me a good little patient certificate for Pizza Hut or McDonald's. My mom is pretty crafty, and she created a doctor button for me to wear when I played doctor at home with my toy doctor kit. My mom had some health problems that were not getting resolved, and I would tell her, Mommy, I want to be a doctor one day so I can fix you. As I grew older, I went through a short time of wanting to be a farmer and a teacher. In the fourth grade, I read a children's version of Dr. Ben Carson's biography and decided I wanted to become a surgeon. But I wasn't sure I wanted to operate on brains because if I made a wrong move, I could not really fix it and allow the patient、uh, much hope for a normal cognitive life. Whereas if I practiced colorectal surgery, which I have pondered, and made a wrong move, I could probably save the patient by performing a colectomy or an ileostomy. While not the optimal surgical result, the patient would be alive and, and would be able to live a normal daily life. But neurosurgery doesn't have such an easy fix and seems way more complex than I like. Fast forward to 2012, my mom's health issues continued and led her up to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. Her doctor there was awesome, and he took time to show me how he did his dictation and why he did it that way. I also got a lot of other educational moments while we were staying up at Mayo, and it was amazing how things move along there and were so well organized. We met several people there, and one of the highlights for me was、uh, when we changed hotel rooms, we got to be on the same floor that the medical students live on. It was pretty neat. That same year, I decided to look and see what was offered in my area for high school students interested in medicine. I found a medical school program for teens, but I did not fit the qualifications due to residency requirements. After talking with my mom, we decided to contact the doctor over the program, about the program. I began emailing him in May, and he got back with me saying, I don't know of any other programs such as our pipeline preparatory one. Your aspirations are laudable, and you're asking all the right questions at this time. Please check back with me later this year. While awaiting a response, I decided to keep digging around and doing internet searches. I spent time watching surgery videos on YouTube and I found the Medical School HQ podcast that summer and I loved it. I listened all the way back to session one. Your podcast got me motivated to look around my local area for volunteering opportunities. I found one at a local hospital pushing a cart around to patient rooms, offering up magazines and newspapers to read. 
I called HR and asked more for more details about the position, filled out the application and got an interview the same week. They were ready to jump on me. Mind you, I was 12 years old at the time, but the application never asked age or birth date. The phone rang and my mom answered. The HR person asked for me and she and my mom said, he's playing outside with his friends. Can I help you? The woman on the other end was completely shocked to find out that I was a 12 year old child that I had made a phone call about volunteering and that I had actually filled out the application neatly and mailed it back in. Needless to say, my application was not accepted. Uh, This happened time and time again this summer and never had any luck, but I never got down about it either. I just kept reading books on medicine and listening to your podcasts. I did get a few scraps here and there. I had a colorectal surgeon show me his tools. I have to remember to call them instruments and not tools in front of patients. (laughs) In September, my mom helped me get into the back door of medicine. One of my favorite school activities, of course, is to go on field trips. We posted uh, on a few groups online asking if there were any other teens interested in medicine. We found a group of about a dozen teens, and my mom contacted the local medical school. They set up an all-day trip to what they call the medical mall, two hospitals, cancer institute, medical school, and a few miscellaneous doctors. One doctor whom I spoke with was the same one I had been emailing since May about the high school medical program. That was pretty exciting to finally get to meet him in person. I respect the fact that he never treated me like a little kid bugging him. He always had an encouraging word for me and still does. I found sadly that not all doctors are like this. During his talk, he introduced us to the Physician Pipeline Preparatory Program, or P4. He announced that to us that they had opened it up for us to apply. The doctor over the program uh, did talk with my mom and, and I extensively about his concerns regarding my age and the distance we live from the medical school. It would be a two plus hour drive for us each day, along with my mom being stuck in the city during the hours I was in class. He finally conceded and decided to accept my application. The P4 program is an abbreviated medical school program for high school students. There are GPA guidelines, citizenship, extracurricular requirements, and more. Podcast number 38 came in very handy because I had to write an essay, get reference letters, and had to sit before a panel of three people for an interview, even four, he says. That was a bit scary for a 13-year-old. Podcast 19 came in handy here too. I think that it also helped that I had some experience with talking to medical professionals and I basically figured out, figured what do I have to lose? They will either take me seriously or treat me like a little kid. I was only 13 as a high school freshman while most of the other applicants were 14 or 15 years old. In November 2013, I got my acceptance letter saying that I had a seat in the program and was invited to a white coat ceremony. The program lasts for all years of all four years of high school. A scholarship if offered with graduation from the program with continued follow-up throughout the undergrad years. Once a certain score is achieved on the MCAT, admittance to that medical school may be achieved. The first class to graduate the program are currently in their sophomore year of undergrad, so they will take the MCAT in 2015. The P4 meets three times per school year for two-week modules. We get a full meal each day. He says, you med students, uh, you know med students, they will come for food. We listen to lectures on biochem. I actually just ran into one of the med students while in the ER when my grandmother was being treated and he warned me that he was going to hurt, hit us hard this fall with the biochem lesson. We have had speakers come from HR regarding professionalism and networking medicine, learned how to present an elevator speech, doctors from specialties. We've gotten hands-on training in the professional development labs, tours, lectures on medical terminology. We learn through problem-based learning. We have uh, learning issues for homework and research diagnoses and drugs and tests to order for our cases. I think one of my favorite things is the standardized patients. This last time, they really surprised us. The medical students uh, did not go into the rooms with us. The med students asked if we had our stethoscopes and then walked away. Two P4 students went into each of the patient rooms and took care of the standardized patients. My partner and I started off on the wrong foot by forgetting to grab the patient chart before entering the room. Even though it was pretend, I was a little, I was very nervous and it really made me think about the seriousness of being in control of a patient's care. 
That patient's outcome was dependent on what I did, what I ordered, and what conclusions I drew. I think I was scared for myself and for the patient, laugh out loud. The highlight of the year was taking the longitudinal performance assessment exam. This exam is given to the actual medical school medical school students and the P4 high school students. We take this exam each year for the four years, and it's neat to see our results up against the actual medical school student results. The P4 program as a whole has been a springboard for me, especially the man who uh, spoke about professionalism and networking, though I must give credit to you and Mrs. Dr. Gray because you have also cheered me on through emails and an occasional shout out on the podcast. Your podcasts have some great ideas like number 52, getting a mentor. Who knew that there really are people out there in medicine that can take a 13-year-old seriously? Through all these different experiences I have had, I've become more comfortable speaking with medical professionals, making phone calls, writing thank you notes, and as I said, above, um, above learning that people can get can either take me seriously or treat me like a little kid. I just figure I can always come back next year and ask again when I'm older. I've gotten a few other cool opportunities as a teenager interested in medicine. I was invited to Chicago to hear my hero, Dr. Ben Carson, retired pediatric neurosurgeon from Johns Hopkins speak. I got to meet him and get his autograph. A doctor that spoke at the P4 allowed me to watch a brain cutting in the morgue, and he took me around the clinic to introduce me to others, including PhDs in the research labs. Many took my business card and were interested in having me come shadow them in the future. At times, I did run into issues with HR telling me that this or that would not be possible. It was really hard not to get down about this because the people seemed genuinely interested in allowing me to spend time with them. I figured, what could it hurt? I was still coming up short on my desire to gain more hands-on experience with patient care. As you say on the podcast, get close enough to smell the patient. I've since gotten to smell a few patients and now understand the idea behind longer stethoscopes. I was finding that other teens interested in medicine were unable to gain experiences due to HIPAA and insurance issues. As I thought more about this, I thought, why not let teens have some job shadowing opportunities before they spend top dollar uh, getting an education heavy on the sciences and realizing I don't like to be around sick people. Using my experience in 4-H, I came up with the idea for creating a 4-H spin club back in February 2014. I got some ideas down on paper, then contacted a fellow P4 student and ran my ideas past her. We sat down, made out a plan of what we wanted to accomplish this year, and contacted 4-H about getting permission to start a club. We were both in charge of getting speakers and activities lined up each month, as well as running the meetings. My mom is the facilitator. From what I've been told, this is the only 4-H medical spin club in the country. The club I started on medicine focuses on careers in medicine, what education is needed for different areas of medicine, online resources, and we have speakers come, some with hands-on activities for us. This week, we are taking a field trip to a prosthetic and orthotic factory as one of the club members is interested in this field. We have toured the medical school, family medicine clinic, PTOT rehab center, and a hospital. We are currently working on a community service project, collecting supplies to make first aid kits to give to patients that come to a free medical clinic. The P4 program has been a great launching pad for me, and I have a desire to help other teens find out if medicine is the right path for them by allowing them to have opportunities to sit down and talk with those already working in the medical and related fields. This is what I want to accomplish for the members of our club. I am so grateful to the medical professionals who have taken time out of their busy schedules and family time to meet with our club. While I was trying to gain interest in the spin club, I had uh, given several newspaper interviews and had posted information on the internet regarding the club. A physician's assistant that is the director of a free medical clinic along with a primary care doctor asked if we would be interested in some of the teens volunteering and getting firsthand experience of being in a direct patient care environment. Did they have to ask me twice? Nope. <laughs> As of May, I have been working with two family medicine doctors and a physician assistant that works in neurosurgery. I am a provider's assistant, and I get to see patients with them, and I've had some hands-on experiences. Of course, I'm not making any medical decisions, but I do get to ask questions and give input on what I think should be done treatment-wise, outside of the exam room, of course. 
Then they will explain why or why not my ideas are the way to go. Sometimes they will give me things to work on at home until we meet again. This month I am working on learning the neurological exam woohoo, and cranial facial nerves. I think my family is getting tired of me practicing on them. I like when I see some of the repeat patients and they give me a big smile when they see me. I feel like I'm getting an awesome deal at the clinic. I get hands-on experience and get to cheer up the patients, some of whom have very serious illnesses and difficult lives that have brought them to the clinic. I have learned to spin blood and have gotten to see a bit of alternative medicine with acupuncture being done on a few of the patients in addition to evidence-based medicine being practiced. One night in particular stands out in my mind. We were short on nurses and the PA at the free clinic asked me if I knew how to run a computer. I said yes. And next thing I know, he's having me enter in the patient information. The other P4 student was asked if she knew how to do vitals. She did. And her night was spent taking H&H and vitals in the patient rooms. I think it was through building relationships with these providers, showing up on time, dressing appropriately, asking questions, taking my learning issues from the clinic setting and studying up on them for the next clinic time, as well as researching medications and coming back with follow-up questions as to how and why they prescribed certain meds that have contraindications. I am learning the benefits, uh, how the benefits sometimes outweigh the risks. I've been working on my elevator speech and how I need to explain who I am in a short time span, all of which made me think about the 4-H Medical Spin Club and people needing to know who we are and what we are all about. So I wrote a mission statement. I never really had a time to use, I never really had time to use it on anyone until an ED doctor came to speak to the club. To my surprise, he asked what our club's mission statement was. I also used my elevator speech on a local attorney who was heading up a town revitalization program. He has invited me to speak at the next town meeting about my accomplishments so far as a teen. This summer, I was invited with a few other P4 students to take part in training physicians from other areas of the country in the use of problem-based learning. I looked at this as a chance to teach as well as meet and network with doctors from other areas. I also attended a molecular and cellular biology academy at U of I. That was pretty neat to put to use. It was pretty neat to put to use what I had learned in biology class as well as to be in a laboratory research arena. Then while we were on vacation, I had a chance meeting with Dr. David Menton, a uh, PhD, a retired professor at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. He is still on that school's admissions committee. He took time out of his busy schedule to spend time talking uh, to me about high school coursework, undergrad options, and the medical school process and interview. Also, while traveling on vacation, I came across Ralph Lindstra, the dean of the School of Health Sciences at Liberty University in Virginia. Liberty just started up a new medical school this fall. I think without your podcast and the P4 program, I would never have had the courage to walk up to these men, give them my business card, and start talking with them. That courage, your podcast, the P4, and my business cards all allowed me to network and market myself as a 13 to 14-year-old. My most recent medical experience came in the way of my grandmother and father being patients in the hospital setting. I got to see a number of medical tests performed on my grandmother as well as uh, had several specialists pimp me during her stay. They were nice about it and I enjoyed it. My father lost part of his finger in a machine and he had to have a revision amputation. A PGY3 and PGY1 from plastic surgery allowed me to stay and watch. They had me sitting at first as, as uh, the doctors explained about his own father's chainsaw accident and how he did not do well watching that hand repair. Once they saw that I was fine, they asked me to come get a closer look. They explained what they were doing. The doctor joked and asked me if I wanted to try my hand at closing. <laughs> I can't wait for that day to come. It was hard to see my father being worked on. Uh, he experienced low blood pressure and a few other issues during the procedure, but it was also really neat to see the before and after. Sadly, they could not reattach the part that was torn off and they had to re- remove the smashed bone as well. The doctors told me to make sure to come back so that they could show me how to remove the stitches. Through my different activities, experiences, and opportunities in the P4 program, as well as my spending time in the hospital setting, I've met a lot of people. The medical school is connected with je- with two local teaching hospitals, and anytime I am there, I seem to run into people that I know that know me. 
Just this week, I ran into an ED doctor that I had met earlier in the month who told me that he would go through his medical school textbooks and pick some out for me and mail them to me. I think for teens struggling to find their way into medical experiences, I would say, don't give up. Keep on pushing, be persistent, but be polite. I have learned to speak up and to not be embarrassed to ask questions, especially in the professional setting. I think that when professionals meet a teen who has a plan, has goals and ambition, they take notice. Teens look to your own family experiences. Does anyone have a medical condition that could uh, that you could research? Or do you have a family member who could uh, use some assistance with daily care? I help with a lot of my grandmother's care, and I will speak up when doctors ask her questions and she does not know the answer. Or if they use a medical term that she does not understand, I will restate it in an easier-to-understand way. Work on getting used to professionals looking at you like a kid. If I got sidetracked by every bump in my journey, I would not be where I am today. People expect teens to be goofing around and out for just a good time. It has taken me a lot of time, effort, emails, phone calls, and waiting around to show them that I am serious, dependable, and willing to put forth hard work at a young age. Should I be penalized as a teenager for having a passion outside of playing video games or hanging out at the mall? I think my my experiences will give me somewhat of an advantage in med school and residency. I will have already had a lot of patient contact, spent a lot of time interacting with medical professionals, and be more relaxed in the medical setting, allowing me the ability to focus on the bookwork of medical school and not the awkwardness of learning patient contact and dealing with the different personalities and temperaments of medical professionals. Thank you. David Bruns. Wow. That was long. Yeah. And amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So he talked in here about so many different things and he keep he kept mentioning as a high school student as a high school student I did this and as a high school student I did that remove the high school student and apply this to a college student looking to get shadowing looking to get clinical experience put it on a medical student And he talks about dependability and showing up on time and dressing appropriately and being professional that that carries throughout your your whole medical career. And this this kid, and I'll say he's a kid, he's mastering it at 14 years old. Mm hmm. Absolutely. David, you are just amazing. You're you already know so much about uh, what just some of the key features of, of what it takes to, to be a great physician. And and it's so clear. I mean, you are so beyond dedicated. Dedicated just doesn't cut it. I mean, your ambition, your your persistence is just admirable. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's amazing. something that everybody can learn a little bit from is that persistence. He talks about sending lots of emails and he's obviously gotten a lot of rejection because of his age. And, and what did he say? He's like, I'll come back next year. Exactly. Um, another year older. Yeah. And what can it hurt to ask? Yep. Amazing. Yeah. And what 14 year old has business cards? <laughs> I know. I love that. <laughs> and I love his sense of humor. I, David, you have such a great sense of humor about all of it too. It's so clear in, in hearing what you said and reading it. Uh, how much you care and and how much you want to help other people and and help uh, take care of people and and help make them healthier and and help uh, cure illness and put people's fingers back together and and all these things that you talked about. And so it's so clear that you care. It's so clear how persistent you are and how motivated and and how you have your eye on the ball at every single moment of your day. Uh, and and not only by the way have you uh, taken advantage of in a good way reach reaching out to people and and using your resources so powerfully. 
really, but you've also created things that didn't even exist before. So the the 4-H spin club, the medical spin club that you created, I mean, just amazing. So I think you will floor admissions committees already with everything you've accomplished. And yeah. and you're only, uh, what's the word? The only thing you have to do now is just keep going and, and make sure that you do well in your classes in MCAT, but you're going to be <laughs> passing with flying colors at the rate you're going. Yeah. I don't, I, I, if he continues on this path, there's, there's no way he's not getting into medical school wherever he wants. No stopping him. (laughs) No stopping. Exactly. It's awesome. I love that. So I, I think we might have to have him on the podcast. I think so. And and I have to give a shout out to his mom. Mo, you are clearly, I just have to say this as a mother to a mother. I mean, you clearly care so much about your son and his passion. And, and I say that too, because one of the things we've talked about um, multiple times is how important it is to have that family support. And so David, you are so, I think, so blessed to have um, your mom be standing behind you all this way and, and helping support you from behind the scenes, but also as a facilitator in one of your clubs and so um, congratulations to both of you on, on just uh, being so motivated and, and helping each other uh, realize your dreams and, and just really moving. Yeah. If, if you're listening to this and uh, not kicking yourself for different opportunities that you've passed up because you were too scared to ask or, or got a rejection and too scared to, to continue to pursue it, then then go back and re-listen to that and and hear that story again about persistence and and dedication and and passion and go do go do what you want to do it's possible all right we have one more we have Jessica our our academy member who gave us this idea as well as session 50 and who just got her MCAT score back which was an awesome score um let's play hers Hi, my name is Jessica, and recently I struggled with overextending myself. I finished the majority of my prereqs and decided to take the summer off from classes to study for the MCAT, which I'm taking, or look, September 18th. From listening to your podcast, I've learned that the MCAT is something you really need to take seriously and to study for, so I signed up for a Kaplan class to prep. I was also volunteering five hours a week at a hospital to gain clinical exposure, and in addition, I work 30-plus hours per week. In June, I stumbled upon a research opportunity and did not want to pass that up, which was a 10 to 15 hour per week commitment. So that's 50 hours per week with non-MCAT stuff. I also just got engaged and had to begin planning my wedding, which, as you and some of the listeners I'm sure know, takes time and many things need to be done a year or so in advance. My sister's also getting married at the end of September, and I'm her maid of honor, so I had scheduled a trip back to New York in early July to throw her a bridal shower slash bachelorette party. So that was more time out of my schedule. I was a few weeks into the Kaplan course and falling way behind on the assigned work and had chosen Kaplan because of their additional resources, fully planning to go above and beyond the assignment. And I just didn't have time to devote to it. And when I was home, I was too exhausted to fully concentrate. I knew something had to give. If I continued at the rate I was going, I was not going to be prepared from September. Not only is there a ton of content to be familiar with, but the MCAT is a lot of strategy. And I kind of liken it to running a marathon. Um, I trained to run for a marathon, you know, slowly increasing my mileage. And, yes, you strengthen your leg muscles, but you also strengthen your willpower. You learn to power through leg cramps, tight IT bands, and exhaustion. The MCAT's the same. You have to figure out your own strategies. What do you do when you have no clue what the answer is? What should your pacing look like? How do you calm yourself down if you're getting stressed out over a passage? 
I would never run a marathon without putting the hours in training, and I needed to do the same for the MCAT. So in mid-July, I decided to take a two-month leave of absence from work. I have some savings to pull from, and my fiancé is extremely supportive and willing to help out with some of our bills. So I took the MCAT. Um, I took about nine practice full-length exams, and do did I feel like I still needed more time? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you'll ever feel completely ready, but um, I think there's always room for improvement. But I think I got a good enough grasp of things to be okay. I don't know. I still haven't found out what I got on it yet. So fingers crossed. But um I guess you have several podcasts about the MCAT, um, number 65, 34, 17, but the one that really comes to mind is session 42 with Dr. Stinkfield and correcting course. And I think everyone's going to veer off course at some point, and whatever that veering is, you know, is kind of specific to your situation. But um, I think what's most important is to notice when your tires are hitting those box dots, you know, those raved pavement markers that mark lanes and how to steer back into your lane. So I overextended myself, and that. My performance was suffering, and I think, you know, hopefully I caught it all in time, but it's definitely a lesson that I've learned for the future and definitely something that I'll take with me in med school to kind of know when enough is enough. And um, ultimately, of course, you don't want your performance to suffer in certain areas of your life. So that's the story. Um, Anyway, I hope it helps, and I will, I guess, listen to you soon. Thanks. Bye. So, Jessica, thank you for calling in and leaving that story. I, She said it perfectly again, and it seems to be the guiding theme throughout all of this and maybe the, the biggest take-home. And she, she mentioned it specifically, the correcting course. And that, that was one episode that we did with uh, Dr. Sinkfield about that is, is her failing at some point. Um, and kind of taking a step back and figuring out what to do. And and we talked with Dahlia and her zig and zag into medical school, and Christina mentioned it, and everybody's mentioned this, the the hurdles they've had to overcome and, and what you do when you when you hit those hurdles. Yeah, and, and we all have hurdles, and I think people experience them at different times, but... Um, what uh, Jessica is saying here, I, I totally agree, rings true for all of us. And the fact that she had the the wherewithal to realize uh, that something, as she said, she knew something had to give because she was she had taken on so much. And we, a lot of us, uh, when we're pre meds, when we're med students, residents, beyond as attendings, we are motivated. We're we're constantly wanting to learn to do better, to help our patients, to. Uh, to become doctors, whatever stage you're at. And uh, it is like, I mean, she mentioned the MCAT's like running marathon. This whole journey is is like a marathon. So there are points at which we may have overextended ourselves in that that rush, that that excitement uh, to try to to do everything and to get there. And so, um, but it is a journey. And uh, and Ryan and I ran a half marathon. So as she was talking about that, it, it, as she was saying tight IT bands, I was thinking back to <laughs> when my IT bands were tight uh, from from running. And and it's it is all about pacing and and planning, pacing, planning, and getting yourself back on course when you realize that you're starting to veer off course. I also have to say, Jessica, I, I mean, so brave. Uh, the fact that you went and took that two month leave of of absence from work, I think it's really 
It's scary for uh, a lot of uh, non-traditionals out there who have real financial obligations and kids and um, and mortgages and, and all sorts of uh, things, debt. I mean, to the idea that you would actually step away from, from your income and, and your paycheck uh, to focus solely on something which is in uh, on the path toward your dream of becoming a physician, that takes a lot of courage. So uh, I applaud you for that bravery. And now the beautiful thing is you can step back here and, and be so excited and pat yourself on the back a hundred times because it did pay off and you did uh, do such a great job with the MCAT. So, so excited for you and congratulations. Um, And thank you again for this wonderful idea of having our, our, of having all of you out there call in and write in and, and share with us these stories and these triumphs that you've had on your journeys because they are so, I can't even tell you, I mean, as a physician sitting here, having gone through this process um, myself and now practicing medicine, I'm so moved by all of you. I, I really am. Yeah. This is, this is one where I hope physicians out there that are struggling with enjoying practicing medicine come and listen to this and and realize the passion that's behind students coming up and and nipping at their feet to to be the next generation of physicians and and one day replace them and um realize that that what they're doing if if they're not happy in it right now that they should realize that they're they're very lucky to be doing what they're doing. Absolutely. I, I firmly believe that listening to all of you can truly have the potential to reignite that passion in physicians who are already practicing and keep that passion with you on your journey, on this long, hard journey called pre-med. Keep that passion running through your veins because it will pay off uh, so much uh, when you you do get those acceptance letters uh, like Jake is and when you do get that great MCAT score uh, like Jessica has um, all the time, all the while from when you're you're younger, like David, you know, through until maybe you're, you know, even 40 or 53, like our our uh, our friend from from that episode way back um, who's now she must be, gosh, I mean, maybe even already graduated or graduating. I think soon. she graduated. Yeah. yeah. From med school. So, yeah. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, this has gone on for an hour and 11 minutes. Wowza. Yeah, it's our longest episode to date, and I think uh, it was necessary to be long with with all those great stories. Yeah, it's fitting. Again, episode 100, we could not have done it without you listening. We could not have done it without you sharing our podcast with your friends, with your classmates, with other people that you think will use it. So continue, please, to do that. We we are forever indebted to you as, as you share it. Share it with your pre-med advisors. Share it with whoever you think uh, can, can listen. If you haven't done so, you can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and go subscribe. Every time you subscribe or when you subscribe, you'll get this podcast in your iTunes or player of choice every Wednesday if we're releasing every Wednesday, which we have for the last 100 weeks. It's amazing. 100 in a row. Um, You'll get that podcast free every Wednesday right in your your playlist. So go subscribe. I don't have anything else to say, Allison, except thank you for being a co-host on a lot of these episodes. 
a co-host, you mean your only co-host. My only co-host. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> just kidding. It's been my utmost pleasure and privilege. Uh, and and thank you. Thank all of you out there for listening to us. And uh, especially Ryan, because he's on more often than me. But um, And I give him so much credit for, for sticking with, um, with this every week um, in the face of having all of his other commitments. But I think this is really between you and me, all of you out there, this is his favorite job. Oh. <laughs> we'll see. And, no, we love you guys. Thank, thank you to all the guests, too, that have been on, that have shared their stories. So, All right. I think that's it. Session 100 is in the books. 100 down. Woohoo! See you for the next 100.